right, it is time to get down to business on Music Madness. Welcome back. This is your host, Kent. You've just got me this week. I know last week's episode was a little bit of a long one, but I appreciate you listening to it. Uh, but I really enjoyed Evan Leon. It's kind of fun to interact with somebody else live on this pod. Let me know what you think on the Discord server. I'll probably try to get a few more people on over the next few weeks or into the next season just because I, I really enjoyed having the conversation with somebody to hear their opinion on what I'm thinking with music as well. So what do we have in store for this week? Last week, we laid out the full 32 participant bracket. Hopefully you made your predictions. You'll see if you're right or wrong. Last week, we mostly talked about the music of the artists that we're going to talk about today. This week, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking through their lives outside of the music. And this is just for the top four seeds. We already did a pre pretty detailed dive into the lower seeds in the play-in episodes, which is why we did it that way. So any of them that survive into next week will get the same treatment as the higher seeds from now on. Um, we're going to go uh, through what I, something a little different next week. I'm going to talk about my three favorite songs by the artist, whether it's with their band, on their own, however it is. Try to stir up a little debate. I want to hear what your favorite songs are from the artist. I want, I want to hear a little bit more about what you think and try and have a conversation about that and try and see if we can't get a little bit more uh, debate about these artists going on. Um, this week, we're going to have the results for the voting. Last week was a long one, so we're really going to get into this and try and make it a little bit shorter. So I'm going to get right down to it. We're going to start in the top bracket, the health reasons bracket, with our four versus five matchup, which is Karen Carpenter, of the Carpenters versus Bon Scott of ACDC. So Bon Scott was born in Scotland in the late 40s, but his family moved to Australia in the 50s. He was a lifelong musician and part of a number of different bands in the 70s. He was part of a group called the Mount Lofty Rangers as their lead singer, but kept getting into fights with band members. In 1974, he got extremely drunk, got in a big fight, drove off in his motorcycle and crashed and was in a coma for three days and in the hospital for 18. He was out of the band after that. They kind of gave him a, the old heave-ho. Around the same time, the band ACDC was looking for a new singer. A promoter introduced them to Scott. They thought he was too old. A lot of the ACDC guys were a little bit younger than he was, but he blew him away once he started singing, and he was immediately chucked into the band. In 1980, Scott was playing drums with the young, the young brothers. Angus uh, was the lead of the two brothers in there. Um, on what would eventually become the songs Have a Drink on Me or and Let Me Put My Love Into You. They were in London. He was also working on an interpretation of the song Ride On, which would become really ACDC's tribute song for him. As we discussed on the last pod, Scott died of something that they classified as death by misadventure, which you'll hear again in the pod in February of 1980 in London. After he died, ACDC put out the Back in Black album to great success with a lot of the songs that he had been working on already. There was actually a lot of debate. I was surprised about this. Um, and I didn't know that they didn't know who, I, they haven't really come out and said who wrote a lot of the material on this this album. Angus Young said that Bond wrote a lot of it, but Brian Johnson, the singer who replaced Scott, also claims it, which makes sense. I mean, you would think you'd want to put your own stamp on it, but it's, it's not really clear who wrote it. So anyhow, who actually won this matchup? And nothing like starting this off with an upset. Karen Carpenter, the five seed, is moving on to the Sweet 16. She received just 53% of the vote, so it was a really tight one. Uh, might be a little bit of controversy here. So Karen Carpenter is our first 
upset and first person to move into the Sweet 16. For our next matchup, we have a six versus a three seed. We have Amy Winehouse versus Bob Marley. Bob Marley was born in 1945 in Jamaica. Surprise, surprise. He grew up playing music. He was really good friends with a guy named Bunny Whaler. And the two of them eventually formed a band with a third member named Peter Tosh. And they called it Bob Marley and the Whalers. Most of Marley's best known stuff was recorded as part of that group. He put out some albums after they broke up, but that uh, that I didn't really even realize he was part of a group until I started doing this research. So that's kind of interesting. Marley's almost always thought of with the country of Jamaica. Um, he's like the quintessential Jamaican image that comes to mind, I think, when most people hear of the country. He converted to the religion Rastafarian uh, in the 60s. I had to look it up because I hadn't heard much about it. It's kind of a wild story. I guess it, they believe that Haile Selassie, uh, who is the emperor of Ethiopia at that point in time, was the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, it also held the belief that the people of African descent should move back to Africa. And they also believed that smoking cannabis was like a religious sacrament and that it had healing properties. It was a very natural lifestyle and didn't believe in most modern medicines. In 1976, also, uh, Marley organized a concert called Peace, the Peace Concert, which uh, was during a very contentious political election in Jamaica. One of the sides thought that the rally was meant to draw support for their opponent, so they decided to assassinate Marley, which we talked a little bit about this on the last pod, but here's kind of the details. Six men broke into his house, shot his wife, shot his manager, and shot him three times. All three of them survived, but his wife was in rough shape for a while. After that assassination attempt, they left Jamaica and went on an exodus to the UK. As we talked about in the last pod, he died from melanoma, which started in his toe, but eventually spread throughout his entire body. He died of cancer in 1980 at the age of 36. I kind of thought this might be an opportunity for an upset, but Bob Marley is jamming into the second round. He got 63% of the vote, sending Amy Winehouse home. Our next matchup is the seven seed versus the two seed, which is Cass Elliott versus Freddie Mercury from Queen. I have to say I love Queen, and I have for a long time. So when I was growing up, I worked at Target for a bit in the late 90s. Um, There was always this end cap that had these discount or clearance CDs, and I feel like I bought a ton of them. Anyhow, there was an album there that was Queen's Greatest Hits, and any of my friends that remember me from like high school, early college, I wore that CD out because it was always in my CD player in my car, and I listened to a lot of old Freddie. Um, Freddie's history is kind of wild. He's of Indian descent, but he grew up in Zanzibar, Tanzania, until there was a violent revolution there in 1964. I had heard the name of the city of Zanzibar, but I had no idea where it was. It's actually on an island off the coast of Tanzania, kind of almost closer to Kenya in the Indian Ocean. And now after looking at that, I really want to go to Zanzibar. Uh, His family moved to England in 1964, and he went to university studying graphic design, which... Uh, kind of came through. He designed Queen's logo and a lot of the artwork that they used was designed by Freddie Mercury. I talked about in the last last pod that Freddie had an amazing voice. After reading into it a bit more, he, I may have even undersold how unique his voice was. And he may have had one of the most unique musical instruments ever in his voice. He had a true four octave range, which is all the way from a bass voice all the way to soprano. He was able to sing all of those notes well. 
he sang most of his songs as a tenor, um, which is, is also very hard to do, especially in rock music. This voice combined with his flair for the dramatic, and it made him one of the greatest lead singers of all time. One of the interesting things about Freddie was that how his sexuality was always kind of fluid, um, which was very unique in the 70s. He even acknowledged that the band's name was kind of a, a joke about his sexuality because being called a queen back in the day was uh, a slur for homosexuality. He would date both men and women throughout his life. He never came out and said his preference, but one obituary claimed that he was bisexual. He did have a long-term relationship with a man named Jim Hutton, but he also had a relationship with a woman for a long period of time. So it was very interesting and especially groundbreaking at the time. At some point in the late, in the early 80s, he contracted AIDS. This is both sad and kind of shocking because probably his most famous performance ever was at the Live Aid concert in 1985. This was the point where he interacted with the crowd doing the deal in the white tank top. Um, he looked vivacious as ever, and the performance went out globally, and it's thought of one of the greatest live performances ever ever put out. Um, his last performance with Queen was in late 1986. He ended up dying five years later in 1991. For those five years, the disease just destroyed his body. His last live appearance was in 1991, and he looked absolutely skeletal. He announced that he had AIDS in 91, and like I said last time, he died 24 hours later after making the announcement. So it's just, it's, it's sad that he lived with that on his own for so long. Um, he was cremated, and his lifelong friend, who he also dated early in his life, Mary Austin, took his ash, ashes and buried them. She never revealed where they're buried, so no one actually knows where his grave is, even to this day. Freddie's looking like a solid contender to win this whole thing because he took down 100% of the vote versus Cass Elliott to move on to the Sweet 16. And finally, for our eight seed versus our one seed, we have Big Pun versus John Bonham from Led Zeppelin. Interestingly, all four of our top seeds in this bracket were born in the middle 40s. Bonham, or Bonzo, as his bandmates called him, was born in England in 1946. Interestingly, he never received formal training on drums. His parents got him a snare drum at age 10 and a drum kit at age 15, and he learned it all on his own. Like he created things in his own mind and how he learned how to drum was all him, which is insane for one of the one of, if not the greatest drummer of all time. He bounced around a number of bands drumming early in his career. He ended up in a group called Crawling King Snakes, which the lead singer of that band was Robert Plant. The band broke up, but Plant formed another band called Band of Joy and brought Bonham with him. It seems like he, he knew what he had, and he really wanted to keep him with him. That band never recorded an album, but then Jimmy Page, who had been part of the band Yardbirds, which broke up in 1968, he and Robert Plant formed Zeppelin, and Plant recommended Bonham as the drummer, and the rest is kind of history. Bonham has been called one of the greatest drummers of all time. We talked a little bit about this last time, but what was it that he did? He created a massive drum set, which was one of the first people to do that. He integrated all sorts of different drum sounds, including bongos, timpanis, and he had actually a massive gong that would sit behind his head that he would hit sometimes. It's said that his timing is what made him the best. When you listen to Zeppelin, the timing of the beats is actually perfect. When I was listening for it, it was just so fluid and unpredictable at times that, uh, you know, it just was absolutely, you could see why he's thought of so highly. So one of the things I learned about Bonham was that he hated traveling. 
which sucks for a globally uh, touring band that did as much touring as Zeppelin did. He hated flying especially, and it made him extremely anxious, which would make him drink in order to cope. And the more they traveled, the more he drank. He claimed he would have a panic attack before every live show. And in 1977, he actually assaulted a security guard in Oakland. Zeppelin would actually never tour the U.S. again after that. Um, His health was becoming a bigger and bigger issue at this time. While they were working on an album in 1980, this is when he drank the 40 shots of vodka Leah was talking about, and he drank them in 12 hours. He passed out on their couch and died in his sleep. In this uh, matchup, Big Pun did, in fact, get crushed by John Bonham. Uh, Bonham moves on with 84% of the vote. So in the next round, we have our three seed Bob Marley up against our two seed in Freddie Mercury and our five seed Karen Carpenter up against our one seed in John Bonham. Interestingly enough, all four died of different health reasons. We have anorexia, alcoholism, cancer, and HIV. There's some really tough but fun matchups in there. We have a battle of drummers between Bonham and Carter, and then two of the most iconic frontmen of all time between Mercury and uh, Marley. So it'll be a really fun matchup in that bracket. So on to the freak accident bracket for a four versus five seed. We have Dwayne Allman versus Buddy Holly. So he was actually named Charles Holly with an E, but he went by Buddy. Uh, and he actually, like I said, spelled it with an E, but his first record label misspelled it H-O-L-L-Y. And that's how he... Uh, had it spelled from then on. It's interesting. As I've gotten to know some of these older artists, a lot of them signed for a label called Decca Records. Patsy Cline, a number of other country rock artists um, from the South um, signed with them, and none of them were happy or really even made it all that big until they left. And it just kind of shows, even with his name, they couldn't get his name right. just shows you the organization at a company like that. Uh, I know Lee and I talked a bit about this on the last pod, but I may may have misspoke a little bit. I said if Buddy Holly hadn't died, would Elvis have been as big as he had become? Well, it turns out Buddy actually got his big break opening for Elvis a few times in Texas. I guess I didn't really realize how long Elvis had been around. When he got discovered and eventually signed for Decca, it was after um, opening for Elvis. It is interesting. He probably had the most connections to other members of the bracket. He opened for Elvis. He toured with Sam Cooke. He uh, worked with Owen Bradley, who was Patsy Cline's manager. And he died with Richie Valens. So it just, Buddy Holly's all over the place. Holly's life was short. And once he decided to pursue music, he was pretty much always on the road. He did 50 shows in the UK in 25 days. He hit New York regularly. He toured Hawaii. He went to Australia. I couldn't imagine flying to Australia in the 1950s in a propeller plane or uh, even like an early jet. It just would take so long. While he was on tour in New York, he met a woman named Maria Santiago, and they got married uh, after their very first date. But he had to keep it a secret because his label thought it would be bad for record sales because he was kind of a heartthrob at the time. Um... We mentioned in the last pod he had a band called The Crickets. After he broke up with The Crickets, he put together his own band. And they went on another tour of the U.S. Um, the, it actually included a guitar player named Waylon Jennings, who went on to be a pretty big star on his own. Um, a- after that tour got started, this was the tour he died on. So the plane crash, he was only 22 years old. And it's crazy how much he was able to do while he was that young. So after seeing the voting results, Buddy Holly may have been a little bit underseated. He absolutely blew out 
Dwayne Ullman taking 89% of the vote. So you guys like your buddy Holly, uh, which I do too. It's actually interesting as I got through this, how many songs of his I actually knew. So at the six versus three, we have Hank Williams versus Otis Redding. Redding and Williams both grew up in the South. Reddings grew up in Georgia. Redding started singing as a kid, even at age six in local churches. His dad got tuberculosis, so Redding had to start actually working real jobs at age 15. And around the same age, he started performing in local talent shows. Um, he said his influences were Little Richard and Sam Cooke, and he'd often sing their songs. He won these um, talent contests in his, na- in his town for 15 straight weeks. His big break actually came when he performed at a local DJ's talent contest, and a guitarist named Johnny Jenkins heard him play and said that Redding needed better backup musicians, which Jenkins had been uh, kind of touring around with a bunch of other artists, so he offered to work with Redding. This got him into a band called Pat T. Cake and the Mighty Panthers, and they started touring the South. Crazy enough, they couldn't play in major clubs because of segregation. There was a touring of uh, clubs in the South called the Chitlin Circuit, which he went around and did. Um, And then as he was playing in these small clubs, he got signed by a record label, which I kid you not, is named Confederate Records. Um, he even moved to Atlantic eventually, um, but that's crazy to get his big break on, uh, the Confederate, uh, record album. But after he moved to Atlantic is when he really took off. I feel like I've talked about the Monterey Pop Festival in regards to a number of different artists, but it was a major influence for Redding as well. Prior to that, he had largely performed for black listeners, but this brought him to mainstream America and really made it so that he was a household name. Interestingly enough, he married his wife, Zelma, when he was only 18 and she was 17. They had their first kid a year later and had a total of four children. Now, as we talked about in the last pod, he died in a plane crash flying from Cleveland to Madison, Wisconsin. His plane crashed into a lake just out of Madison, and most of the people actually drowned. Um, the, The crash that took his life took most of the lives of the members of his band, his driver, and the pilot, and he was only 26 years old. So Otis gets to sit on his dock for at least one more week as he defeated Hank Williams with 79% of the vote. So for the seven versus two seed, we have Aaliyah versus Ronnie Van Zant from Leonard Skinner. So I didn't know much about Van Zant prior to getting going on this podcast. I knew of Skinner, obviously. I'd heard a bunch of their songs, but I had no idea their entire story. So Van Zant was born in Florida, not Alabama. You would have just assumed that with Sweet Home Alabama being their biggest song. But he grew up in Jacksonville, and he met all of his future bandmates, Gary Rossington, uh, Larry Junstrom, and Bob Burns, when they all were attending Robert E. Lee High School in Jacksonville. I had no idea where the name of their band came from, but supposedly it's named after their gym teacher, who is named Leonard Skinner. Um, the band all's name was meant to mock him because he was super strict. He hated long hair. He would often punish them for being like troublemakers. Um, and the, the way it's typed, I don't know if you see in like memes and stuff like that, the way people type ironically names with, uh, capital and lowercase letters, this feels a lot like that. Just throwing Y into random places in his name. Alex Collins was also from Jacksonville and he played Legion baseball against almost all these guys. He joined the band and that really made it. So Leonard Skinner was a finished product. They toured all over the South in the 70s. They were actually discovered by a band member from Blood, Sweat, and Tears named Al Cooper, and they signed to his label. They really hit it big 
um, opening for another bracket combatant, The Who, on their Quadrophenia tour in 1963. Um, I was surprised to hear this, but supposedly the song Sweet, Hala- Home, Sweet Home Alabama was response to Neil Young's song Alabama, which supposedly kind of ripped on the South, and they didn't like it. So they, they put out that song in order to try and kind of get back at Neil Young. So the plane crash that eventually claimed the lives of uh, him and other members of the band was flying from South Carolina to Louisiana. They were supposed to stop in Mississippi to refuel, but due to fog and rain, they couldn't land. So they were looking for another stop. They eventually ran out of gas. I guess it was a really old plane type that they were flying in. So it needed gas all the time. And while they were coming into land at the the next... um, airfield they had found it clipped a tree on landing flipped over crashed hard and killed van zant and steve Gaines in the 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 plane so this is a big one leah called it on the pod last week but Aaliyah doesn't just beat ronnie van zant she blew him out with 78 percent of the vote wow so that's a first number two seed out already and a seven seed moving on so in our last matchup, we have our eight versus one seed. It's Jim, Jim Croce versus Brian Jones of the Rolling Stone. Jones was born in 42 in Western England. He grew up playing a number of different instruments. Like I said, last time he played all sorts of instruments for the Stones. He played the clarinet. He listened to classical music and jazz. He played the saxophone, guitar. So that's he really learned how to play this early on. At 16... His girlfriend got pregnant and had a child, which we she put up for adoption. Because of the time of when it was, the shame of it drove him to leave high school and move to live like a bohemian lifestyle in Europe, touring around, playing music. Um, he didn't seem to learn his lesson, though, from it because he had two more children while he was living that lifestyle uh, before the age of 20 with other women throughout Europe. So he, he kind of uh, didn't really figure that out. In 1962, he put out an ad that he was trying to start a band in London. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards showed up for the audition. Jones named the band the Rolling Stones. Eventually, the two of them convinced him to add the G to Rolling, and that's how the band got going. The three of them lived in a flat in London and started writing music. They hired a bassist named Billy Wyman because he had a spare amp that they could use. Um... Jones wrote a lot of their early music. Richards is quoting as saying as though he thought he was crazy because of the way the songs he would come up with, but it worked. Jones started driving a wedge between himself and the rest of the band early on by acting as their manager. He would take a bigger cut of the rest of the members, and they didn't think he was doing all that much else because there was another person that was actually doing a lot of their um, managing activities. So he already was kind of pissing off the rest of the band. In 1963, because of this, they hired a new manager named Andrew Lug Oldham, um, and he was brought in by Keith and Mick uh, to try and manage the band well, and he and Jones fought all the time. They didn't like each other much. Early on, the band would perform a lot of covers and other people's stuff, but Oldham really pushed them to be more like the Beatles and write their own stuff, and he recognized that uh, Mick Jagger was and Keith Richards were the big writers. They were writing a lot of music, and he wanted to really highlight the enthusiasm that Jagger brought to the shows. 
So this really made Jones self-conscious. He he was always kind of paranoid, but this made him really paranoid. So he went to drugs and booze, and he became really hard to be around. Like, people just thought he was a jerk. In 1967, he actually beat up his then-girlfriend, Anna Pollenberg. She got sick of it and actually left Jones for Keith Richards, which made for even more conflict between the group. Um, in 1968, the band was recording an album and Jones' contribution was almost non-existence uh, on this album. They were working on the song Jumping Jack Flash and all he did was sit there and play the tambourine. Um, it sounded a lot different from their trippier early work and Jones had gotten arrested a few times and was on probation for drugs. And the rest of the band uh, wanted to go on a tour of the U.S. Now, did they do it because they wanted, they knew he couldn't come because he was on probation? Um, But because he was, he couldn't go. He couldn't get the work permit. So in 1969, as they were about to hit off on the tour, uh, Mick and uh, Keith fired him. They said, you're out. So that was in June of 1969. In July of 1969, he was found by his girlfriend at the bottom of his pool. He was 27 years old and was also by misadventure, as Leah said on the last time. So uh, Jones is moving on to the next round. He defeats um, his opponent, Jim Croce, pretty significantly, but um, not by the margin I was expecting, actually. So people really like big, bad Leroy Brown. Jones won 68% of the vote and is through. Can Jones survive a matchup with Buddy Holly? Leah and I talked about it a bit, but Jones wasn't even with the Stones when he died. Holly was only 22 and was probably the biggest artist on the planet at the time. Really an intriguing matchup there. And then our other matchup is three-seed Otis Redding taking on upstart child bride Aaliyah. This will be interesting. Um, Redding should be a little bit worried because it seems like Aaliyah has a pretty strong following. And if he can, if she can knock off Leonard Skinnerd, um, Redding might be in for a tough bite match. All right. So on to, uh, the group that Leah said was her favorite OD and drugs. Um, at our four versus five seed, we have Keith Moon from the who versus Janice Joplin. Lots of Brits on this list. Moon was also born in London in the forties. Uh, which is also a theme. A lot of people born in the 40s. He grew up knowing exactly what he wanted to do. As a child, he took lessons from a rock drummer. Supposedly, he grew up loving the Beach Boys, and he was a big fan of Elvis's long-term drummer, DJ Fontana. Moon was not the original member or drummer for The Who, which I thought was kind of interesting. The Who went through a number of drummers early in their career. In 1964, they were auditioning for a record deal and they fired their drummer in the middle of the audition because he was just not able to keep up and they didn't get the part, obviously. Um, Moon was playing for another band called the Beachcombers before who the and the Who's um, they he kind of opened for the Who a couple weeks later and they were really impressed by how good he was because he brought a lot of energy to it. Uh, they offered him a job on the spot in the bar. Uh, one story I read was that Moon showed up for that show with his hair dyed like ginger red and his uh, clothing was a jumpsuit that was also the same exact color. So he just kind of stood out, looked like a flaming person. And then he just destroyed the drum set afterwards. They said that was the guy they wanted. And he was the catalyst actually for the success of the group because it moved even further. However, even during that audition, Moon later admitted that he was drunk. 
he's best known for his destructive behavior, which was often fueled by drugs and alcohol. He would he would destroy every single hotel room he ever stayed in and his homes, including the ones that he owned. One story I read, he left a hotel room that he was staying in, but he quickly said, oh, driver, go back. I forgot something. So the driver turned around, went back to the room. He ran upstairs, grabbed the TV from the room and threw it out the window into the swimming pool. He ran back to the car and told the driver, I almost forgot to destroy it. So it just shows you the insanity of this man. His favorite thing to do was to put cherry bombs down the toilet. One time he even put a stick of dynamite down a toilet because somebody complained about the noise he was making in his room. So it completely destroyed the bathroom. In the mid 70s, the band went on a little break and Moon's drinking went into overdrive. By that time, he had By the time they all kind of came back, he was a complete mess. He would fall asleep during shows. He'd not show up. Um, He started to run into money problems because he kept having to pay for all the damages he caused from his drinking and from just destroying hotel rooms. His profit from their 1975 tour of the UK was only 45 pounds because he lost so much money having to pay for damage he had caused. Leah tried to talk about this on the last pod because but she was having some trouble connecting uh, at that point but uh, he actually died in the exact same flat that Cass Elliot died in um, he was warned by the owner saying oh you know this is maybe a haunted place uh, but Keith was saying there's no way lightning could strike twice little did he know right he wanted to get clean from alcohol he knew it was kind of destroying him so he started taking a drug called hemorrhin hemorrhin Averin, Heminiverin, anyhow, I'm terrible with words and names, uh, which is supposed to stop him from wanting alcohol and help with withdrawal, but it's addicting too. But, you know, one problem at a time. His withdrawal was getting so bad he couldn't play the drums, his hands would shake. The, the drug is also lethal if you take it with any alcohol. He was supposed to take one every time he got a craving. Um, he went to the premiere of the Buddy Holly film with Paul and Linda McCartney, returned home and was found dead later from an OD because he had taken 32 of the tabs. He must have been just going through it hard. Well, there's going to be a few I told you so's after this one on Discord this week because Janice destroyed Mooney the Looney with 84% of the vote. For our six versus three seed, we have Bradley Knoll from Sublime versus Jim Morrison of the Doors. Seems like everyone is either from the South or England. Morrison was born in 1943 in Florida. Interestingly enough, his father was named George Morrison, and he was a rear admiral in the U.S. Navy. He actually commanded the U.S. Naval Forces in the Gulf of Tonkin incident in 1964, which was the impetus for the U.S. getting involved in the Vietnam War. That's kind of crazy because that Morrison was not a big fan of the war. I don't think (laughs) because he was a Navy brat. He moved all over the place. He lived in San Diego, Virginia, Texas, Florida. He eventually graduated from high school in Virginia. He doesn't really seem the type, but then he went to Florida state. He got arrested for being drunk and disorderly at a football game. He then transferred to UCLA. So, I mean, there's just the dude was at big sports schools. He got a degree in fine arts, including filmmaking. He made a few short films. He really lived a vagabond life in Venice Beach, living on rooftops, doing drugs, writing poems. And actually, many of those poems became Doors songs. He met a man named Ray Manzarek, another UCLA alum, and they were living together on top of roofs, and the two of them formed the Doors. Manzarek's the one who told him that, hey, these poems sound a lot like songs. We should really try and put them together. 
They got a guitarist named Robbie Krieger and a drummer named John Densmore, and they formed the band The Doors. For the most part, Jim didn't play a lot of instruments. He would write the, the words, the lyrics, and Krieger would um, create most of the music that went with it, and Jim would just stand there and play the tambourine or the maracas or something like that. Morrison got arrested a number of times during their tours. He attempted to start fights, incite riots, or just would take his clothes off. Um, much of this was caused because he was almost always drunk or high. In 67, he became the first lead singer ever to be arrested while performing a, a show. In New Haven, Connecticut, he got maced by a cop prior to the show. He went onto the stage and just went off on a tirade on the cop, calling him a jerk and saying he was being abused. The cops came up on the stage for and arrested him for disturbing the peace, which that's a very uh, rock and roll story, right? Um, in 71, he decided to go to Paris to get himself right. He gained a lot of weight from drinking. He was in bad shape and needed to get cleaned up. They had just finished L.A. Woman, so he went with his girlfriend to Paris to try and calm down. He'd started to lose some weight, but then, sadly, it sounds like he might have relapsed because he was found dead in a bathtub at age 27. His cause of death was listed as heart failure, but seven eyewitnesses say he died of a OD of heroin. He, Brian Jones, Janis Joplin, and Jimi Hendrix all died within two years of each other at the age of 27. And that's what the origins of the real 27 Club was. And sadly, um, it's only gotten bigger since then, as we'll talk about. This was one of the closest votes of the week. Bradley Knoll was winning up till about 10 minutes prior to the closing of voting, but it's Jim Morrison who squeaks through with 53% of the vote. I know I love Sublime, so a bit sad to see them go. For our seven versus two, we have Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon versus Jimi Hendrix. Jimi is, of course, going to break our streak of Southerners and Brits because he's from Seattle. Um, I was just there a few weeks ago, and there's a wall of musicians, and what a great musical town. Um, Jimi was one that I, I knew was from there, but I had kind of forgotten about until I saw that when I was in Seattle. And I think it actually was what sparked me to do some work and think of this um, theme. So Jimmy was born Johnny Allen Hendricks. His parents changed his name when he was four to James Marshall Hendricks to honor his dad's brother who had died. His dad had been drafted for World War II but went AWOL when Jimmy was born because he wanted to go back for the birth. He got caught and arrested and missed the birth and spent two months in jail anyhow. Jimmy grew up hard. He and his siblings were in and out of foster care. His parents were incredibly poor and alcoholics, so they couldn't really take care of him. His parents divorced in 1951, and he and his brother went to live with his dad. So no one actually formally taught Jimmy how to play guitar. As Leah said last week, his first guitar was a one-string ukulele. He bought his own guitar a few years later and would learn to play songs just by listening to him. First song he learned was the theme to the show Peter Gunn, which some of you may remember from uh, the last pod as a Grammy winner for um, that. So that's kind of interesting. Jimmy got arrested twice before the age of 19, so he was given the choice of going to jail or joining the army. He went with the army. While in the army, his dad sent him his guitar, which he'd play religiously. He got reprimanded for missing duty because he was playing so much. He and another serviceman named Billy Cox would often play at the base bar. After their discharge, he and Cox got together and started playing in a band. However, for much of the 60s, he just worked as a backup guitarist for other black artists. He performed with Sam Cooke, who was also in the bracket, and he performed for Little Richard. He eventually became a full member of the Isley Brothers Band and toured around with them. 
While he was in New York, he met Linda Keith, who was Keith Richards' girlfriend at the time, and got him introduced to the scene. As we talked about on the last pod, he put together a band, moved to London, and that was really the start of the Jimi Hendrix experience. Um, Noel Redding played bass, Mitch Mitchell played drums, and as we talk about, he did great in the UK. But again, it was the Monterey Pop Festival that really kicked off his US career. In 69, the experience broke up. Redding left, Mitchell stuck around as his drummer. Um, Hendrix was the final performer at Woodstock and played his incredible rendition of the Star Spangled Banner to close the show, which is interesting because like 400,000 people attended Woodstock, but only like 30 were left to see that. And Guitar World said that performance is the greatest guitar performance ever done. So Jimmy used a lot of drugs and he drank really heavily. And even he admitted he wasn't an easy person to be around when he did either. So in 1970, when in London with his then girlfriend, he drank a lot. They did some drugs. They fell asleep together. But when they woke up, she found him unresponsive. He died later that day at the age of 27. The autopsy said that he had actually choked on his own vomit. His girlfriend later admitted that he had taken eight of her sleeping pills the night before. So that's what did him on. I'm kind of feeling like this is my kind of prediction here. Jimi Hendrix versus Freddie Mercury for the final. Um, Jimmy demolished Shannon Hoon, taking 100% of the vote in that matchup. So the 200%s are Jimmy and Freddie. And for the last matchup in the drugs and OD bracket, we have eight seed Mac Miller taking on the one seed Elvis Presley. Elvis was born in Tupelo, Mississippi in 1935. He's older than I actually thought he was. He actually was born with an identical twin brother who is stillborn. His dad was a member of the Harrison family from Virginia. His, um, his uh, family included founding father, Benjamin Harrison, who was a signatory of the Declaration of Independence, three U.S. presidents, William Henry Harrison, Benjamin Harrison, and Abraham Lincoln were all members of this family, like in some way, shape, or form. Who knew? Like, it's crazy. That, what a family. The family moved to Memphis in 1948. He was told by teachers he had no aptitude for singing, and he was often bullied for the way he looked, which is crazy to think who he turned into. He spent his lonely free time learning how to play the guitar. He never received any formal music training, and he couldn't read music. He would just learn how to play everything by ear. He listened to the radio and would learn how to play the songs. In 1953, he graduated from high school and went to a local record service to record a few of his songs on the album. While he was there, he met a man named Sam Phillips, who signed to be his manager. It was Phillips who came up with the idea of trying to find a white man who could sing like a black man. And Elvis fit that bill to a T. He got him signed to RCA Records, which was huge at the time. What really stood Elvis apart was the way he danced on the stage. He'd do a loose leg twist, which was really innovative for the time and uh, kind of provocative and different from everybody else. He performed a lot on TV, and his dancing was a huge hit. He performed on the deck of an aircraft carrier, and younger people, especially women, loved him. Older religious types hated him. The Catholic Diocese in La Crosse, Wisconsin, wrote a letter to the FBI asking J. Edgar Hoover to do something about his dance moves, which were rousing the sexual passions of teenaged youths. <laughs> what are the Catholics and the FBI doing worrying about music? Um... His show would often resemble a riot, though. He would often start with the song Hound Dog, and it would just go from there. 
1957, he was actually drafted into the U.S. military because of the Korean War. I think the FBI might have, that might have been their way of trying to take care of him. But it was a major national news story. He served internationally in West Germany, and it was here that he was first introduced to drugs with amphetamines because it kept him awake. Um, while in Germany, um, at the age of 24, he met 14-year-old Priscilla Bellui, um, who he would marry just seven years later. Kind of creepy that he started courting a 14-year-old when he was 24. Um, while in the army, RCA kept pumping out unreleased music, and he had at least three movies released that he had been working on prior to going into the military. After leaving the army, he spent eight years just making formulaic, musical, romantic comedies. He made a lot of money doing this, but um, the soundtracks were the only music he made. In 68, he had his big comeback special we talked about and started making music again. In 69, he took up residence in Vegas at the International Hotel, where he did 57 shows. Over his five-year deal, he made a million dollars a year, which was just absolutely insane back then. It's interesting because in 1970, he set up a meeting with Richard Nixon because he wanted to offer a way to reach out to hippies and drug addicts to convince them to stop using drugs, which he supposedly hated. Um, guess he just hated illegal drugs, but he loved prescription stuff. He even in the meeting called out the Beatles, who he had just met with earlier that year. And like John and uh, Paul were like, what the hell? Um, in 1972, he and Priscilla got divorced. And she was having an affair with a karate instructor that uh, he had introduced her to. Um, this really started his decline into drug use, which is interesting that he was trying to, to fight it at the time. In 73, he actually OD'd twice on barbiturates, sending him to the hospital. He actually spent three days in a coma the first time. Uh, hypocritically, he thought that because he was getting these drugs from a doctor, he was better than the illegal drug users. He stopped recording music in 1974, and the drugs really started to take over. In 1977, he was supposed to fly from Graceland to Maine to start a tour, but his fiance found him dead in his bathroom at age 42. Mac Miller had some strong support, but Elvis, the king, was just too much. He moves on and dances his way to the next round with 63% of the vote. So, for our matchups, we have three of the original 27 club members and Elvis, the king of prescription drugs. Um, there was a lot of crying when Janice was uh, under-seated, so can she take down the, the king of rock? We'll see. On the other side of the bracket, we have Jim versus Jimmy, which should be a pretty interesting matchup. And now our very last bracket, we have the violent death group. I think this bracket is going to be extremely competitive, and it's kind of wide open. Our first matchup is at five versus four, Biggie Smalls versus Marvin Gaye. Gaye was born in Washington, D.C. He lived in an older neighborhood, which had been turned into a housing project. He grew up Pentecostal, which is an extremely strict version of Christianity. His father would often beat him for any slight problem or indiscretion, which is kind of interesting knowing how he died. He would sing often at church, in order to escape his father, he joined the Air Force at the age of 17, but he hated it so much he faked, faked mental illness to get discharged. He went to Motown in Detroit to work as a backup singer. He started singing with singers like Bo Diddley, Chuck Berry, and in 1960, he signed a contract with Motown Records. He signed it with an E, 
at the end of his last name for a number of reasons. First, he wanted to distance himself from his father and change his name. Second, he wanted to emulate his hero, Sam Cooke, who had done the same thing, taking an E at the end of it. Um, so that, those were the big reasons. Gay's career really took off from there, uh, largely through duets, as I said. And then his solo career took off from there. And it was really started with the protest music phase and then went into his sexual healing phase. Um, in 1971, Motown Records re-upped his contract with a $1 million signing bonus, which was the largest deal by a black artist at the time. By the late 70s, though, he was in a bit of a trouble. He was getting divorced from his wife named Anna Gordy. He put out an album about it, hoping to use the proceeds to pay her alimony, but that album just tanked. He also had a nasty cocaine habit at this point in life, and he was trouble in trouble with the IRS. He tried putting out a disco album, which also didn't do well. And by 1980, he was on a European tour, largely because he owed $4.5 million in back taxes, and he was trying to avoid paying it. So he was trying to be out of the country. He never came back. to. He didn't come back to the U.S. for two years, and he lived in Belgium there, and he got clean from drugs. While he was there, he also moved on from Motown Records, signing for CBS Records. In 1983, his father shot and killed him, after he broke up a fight between um, his dad and his mom. Uh, I hadn't read that he had had such a strained relationship with his dad early in his life until I was doing the research for this one. So it adds a little bit of context to why his dad might have killed him. Um, It's incredibly sad, but still, it just is uh, the relationship between those two must have been tough. Gay was only 43. Another super close vote, but moving on to the next round, we have Notorious B.I.G. with 53% of the vote. He just, he's a, he's a scrapper. He just barely beat Chester Benningfield, Bennington in the last round, and now he just pushes through Rip Marvin Gay. Gay is stuck saying, what's going on? For our six versus three seed, we have Bradley Knoll versus the controversial three seed John Lennon. Leah was right. I caught a little bit of flack for Lennon being only a three. As I, uh, we all know, Lennon was born in Liverpool, England in 1940. His dad worked on ships and was gone a lot. His mother tried to take care of him, but his aunt reported to her to social services because she was not attentive. And his aunt eventually took over raising him. His dad was never really a part of his life. Later in life, he said his mother was more like a sister than a mother. This led to him being quite a troublemaker. Making it even worse, his mother was struck and killed uh, by a car in 1958. And that really started him drinking heavily when he was only 18 years old. He'd get in a lot of fights, and later in life, he wrote a song called Julia about his mom when he was with the Beatles. At age 15, Lennon started a band called The Quarrymen. Paul McCartney joined the group after their second performance in 1957. Lennon was only 17. McCartney pushed Lennon to hire his friend George Harrison to come play guitar for him. Uh, Lennon was a little reluctant because Harrison was only 14 at the time, but he was pretty good, so they brought him in. They hired a guy named Stu Sutcliffe to play bass in 1960, and then they changed their name to the Beatles. There was a drummer named Peter Best, who made the band a five-suit-five uh, group. Sutcliffe decided to leave the band. McCartney took over on bass. Ringo Starr replayed, replaced Best, and then the four of them really became the Beatles, and that was the lineup that was together until they broke up. Lennon and McCartney started partnering on writing their music, which everybody knows they were the partnership to write music, and they produced all of their great songs. I don't feel like I need to spend a ton of time on the Beatles because that story is pretty well known. 
Um, so one of the things I didn't know all that well, though, was um, about their manager, whose name was Brian Epstein. He really helped style them from their hair to their look to their tours to their movies. He kept the group together and played mediator. He was, though, interestingly, a closeted homosexual and supposedly had a massive crush on John Lennon. Later in life, um, Lennon said that he kind of had a crush back. They never did anything about it or dated, but there were rumors that they had been having an, a, a fling for a while early on in their careers. Um, anyhow, in, Epstein died in 1967, and Lennon later said that that was the year the Beatles truly died, and they broke up only three years later. So it, it was from then on that they kind of started spiraling apart. The last concert the Beatles performed was in 1966, by that time, Lennon was taking a lot of LSD. He and Harrison had really gotten into Eastern meditation, and the two of them insisted that the group take a trip to India in 1968, where they wrote most of the White Album. The same year, he started bringing his girlfriend, Yoko Ono, to rehearsals, and that didn't sit well with the band because they had had a pretty strict rule about no wives and girlfriends at anything. In September of 1969, John informed the rest of the group that he was leaving the Beatles. He said that he agreed not to tell the media because the rest of the group was trying to negotiate their own recording deals after the breakup. But of course, Paul went out and announced that he was leaving the band in April of 1970, which pissed John off. Uh, he had agreed not to do it. Um, Leah was asking, don't you think there would have been a reunion? Maybe. The more I read about it, the less likely I think it is because John and Paul were pretty pissed at each other. Um, Lennon's quote was after Brian died, we collapsed. We got sick of being sidemen for Paul. Paul took over supposedly, but what was leading us really just in circles, which says a lot. We talked about what happened after that on the last pod, but when this is when he and Yoko really started making music together, Lennon started getting more and more active on social issues, protesting the war. He was supposed to be part of the concert for Bangladesh, but Harrison was so pissed at Yoko, he wouldn't let Yoko be part of it, so Lennon pulled out. In the middle of the 70s, he and Yoko actually became estranged and started seeing other people. Uh, eventually, Ono took him back, and he just left the woman he was living with at the time, not really telling her it was over, which is crazy. In 1973, Nixon tried to get Lennon deported. There was even an order that he had to leave the country within 60 days because of his anti-war rhetoric, but he never did. Um, Nixon resigned because of his illegal activities and the whole thing kind of went away. He was even under FBI investigation and there was a book written about it a few years ago. Lennon was shot and killed in December of 1980 by a man named Mark Chapman. He was a Beatles fan, but he was enraged supposedly by the lavish lifestyle that Lennon and Yoko, uh, Yoko lived. He styled himself like Holden Caulfield from The Catcher in the Rye. I don't remember this book all that well, but supposedly Caulfield called himself a phony killer who killed hypocrites. Um, Chapman flew all the way from Hawaii to shoot Lennon at his home. He shot him, but he didn't kill him right away. He shot him around like 1045. He was taken to the hospital. A surgeon tried to save him, but he died about 45 minutes later at age 42. So it's impossible to not play favorites within this. I'll be honest, I was really rooting for Lennon to lose this week. Early on in voting, Selena was winning for part of the week but as more and more votes ro rolled in he came around and won with 65 percent of the vote at our seven versus two we have swedish swedish hitmaker avici versus tupac shakur tupac was born in new york city in 1971 like i said last time it's kind of crazy 
that he's our first New Yorker, and he was really the face of West Coast rap. Um, his parents were both, interestingly enough, active members of the Black Panther Party. Prior to his birth, his mother, Afeni uh, Shakur, had been charged as part of the Panther 21 trial, where 21 Black Panthers were charged with attempted murder and uh, riot. She was acquitted of over 150 charges when they found not guilty, but that's just still crazy. His stepfather was on the FBI 10 most wanted list for a while. His godfather did 21 years in jail for murder. His godmother is still actually on the run from the FBI for murder, which is, it's kind of crazy and tells you how he was brought up. He was raised by his mother. They moved to Baltimore in 1984 and then San Francisco in 1988. While in Baltimore, he went to the same high school as Jada Pinkett, who's now Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife, and they became incredibly close friends until he was died. So, as I said, he was, uh, it's crazy he was the face of West Coast rap, but he only moved to the West Coast when he was 17. Uh, he only lived there for eight years. He started rapping in San Francisco, even under the name MC New York, which is kind of crazy. As his uh, career was taking off, he actually started acting. He was in a movie called Juice and a movie called Poetic Justice with Janet Jackson. He had a small part in a movie called Above the Rim. After his death, there were three more movies put put out called Bullet, Gridlocked, and Gang Related. There was a rumor that George Lucas wanted him to play Mace Windu in the Star Wars prequel films, too. Samuel L. Jackson played the role, but Tupac with a lightsaber would have been awesome. Um, The problem is trouble seemed to find Tupac everywhere he went. In 1992, at a musical festival, he dropped actually his legal gun during an altercation. Someone in his entourage picked it up and fired it. It hit a kid riding his bike and killed him. The guy was arrested and put in jail, but he was um, it, he settled a wrongful death suit, and he wasn't charged because uh, there wasn't any evidence. In 1993, he was arrested in Atlanta for shooting two off-duty cops. The cops claimed that they he started it, but other witnesses said the cops were harassing some black motorists. Shakur and his group uh, went up and tried to stop him, and Shakur shot back out of self-defense when the cops opened fire on him. Um, so the charges were dropped there. In 1994, he was in New York recording a mixtape. He walked into the studio, and a couple men tried to rob him at gunpoint. He resisted and was shot in the process. He spent a few hours in surgery, but then he immediately left the hospital and then holed up in the house of an actress friend of his in New York and had a bunch of Black Panthers come and guard him while he was there. Out of that, he was really suspicious that Puff Daddy and Notorious B.I.G. had either known about it or been part of the attempted murder on him. And this really started the East-West rivalry. He was convicted in 1994 for sexual assault and gun charges. He claimed that he was set up because the woman filed a $10 million civil suit against him right at the same time. And his agent, who he had uh, been with, was seen with the woman later on in life, too. He spent most of 1995 in jail because of it and was bailed out by Suge Knight for $1.4 million. There are a bunch of other smaller cases, but those are the really big ones. It's believed that the East-West fight led to his death, but it's still a mystery. As I said last time, he was in Vegas for a Tyson fight and a Cadillac pulled up next to him opened fire. The biggest theory out there is that the Crypt gang members had been in a casino, tried to rob Tupac's entourage earlier in the night, so they all beat him up. The story is the gang member then followed them and opened fire. Biggie was a suspect, but he had an alibi. There still is an open case on this. And actually, I just read that there was a search warrant executed earlier in 2023 to try and find some more evidence. Tupac was only 25. 
Not much of a competition here as Tupac is moving on with 80% of the vote. And our final one, eight versus one seed, it's Mozart versus Kurt Cobain from Nirvana. Cobain was born in a small town in Washington, south of Seattle. He was from a very musical family. His uncle actually played in the Beachcombers with Keith Moon from The Who. Um, he grew up singing and listening to music. His parents divorced when he was nine, and his mother said that changed who he was. He went from being a happy kid to being kind of reclusive and quiet. His dad remarried and had other kids, and Kirk really disliked his stepmom and resented his siblings. His mother dated an abusive man and was beaten up in front of Kirk so badly that he, she had to go to the hospital, and that really had an impact on him. He began to rebel heavily. His dad got sole custody, um, but he couldn't handle living with his dad. His dad couldn't handle him either. He went to live with a family friend who was super religious. Supposedly, Kurt converted to, converted to Christianity for a while, but eventually renounced it, saying it and becoming an incredibly anti-religion. Later in life, he actually said that the song Lithium was about his experience of living with this religious family. He eventually dropped out of high school, and because of that, his mom kicked him out of the house. He went back to live with her after the religious family. Um, he, he started actually sleeping under a bridge. He said that the song Something in the Way is about the experience of being homeless. In high school, he discovered punk rock and metal. Uh, as he was starting out his early career, he started dating a woman named Toby Vale, who was the lead singer of a group called Bikini Kill. And he became just infatuated with her. It didn't work out in the long term, but most a lot of the songs about a woman that they, he sings is actually about her, which is interesting. Supposedly, he grew up just loving the Beatles, uh, especially John Lennon, who he had said was his idol. However, from there, he really delved into punk rock and especially a band called the Melvins. He would follow the Melvins around and met Nirvana bassist Krist Novoselic at a Melvin's show, and they formed the band Nirvana. Uh, they had a drummer named Chad Channing who drummed on their first album, but they didn't like the way he sounded, so they fired him and hired Dave Grohl to be their drummer going forward. Cobain struggled with Nirvana's massive success, and after Nevermind came out he just didn't love it he wanted to be small and felt like he was being exploited by album companies he compared himself to an actress named Frances Farmer they actually even wrote a song about it but she had gone crazy after she became famous and eventually was put in a psych ward Cobain always claimed his sexuality was fluid and he was a massive LGBTQ rights activist which was extremely rare in the 90s he would even say that he wasn't gay, but he could see himself being bisexual if he found the right man. In 1991, he met Courtney Love, who was the lead singer of a band called Hole. He met her through Dave Grohl. They got married in 1992, gave birth to their only daughter named Frances Bean that same year. Frances was taken from them at birth because the two of them were such massive drug users. Um, they were codependent. Cobain used heroin, oxy, and drank like a fish. In 92, he OD'd the night after he performed on Saturday Night Live, but Love actually saved him. Um, then he OD'd again in 1993, and Love injected him with naloxone. He went on to perform a concert that evening like nothing had happened. In 1994, he OD'd in Rome on Rohypnol, which is an anti-insomnia drug. Love later said this was his first actual suicide attempt. They both went back to Seattle. Love had to call the police because he was suicidal and locked himself in the house with a gun. Police came, took away all his weapons. Love staged an intervention at this point, which really enraged Cobain. He was just pissed. He agreed to go through detox, but he wasn't having it. 
he checked into detox on March 30th, checked himself out the next day, went back to his house. No one could find him for over a week. They eventually found him on April 8th, dead in his house from a shotgun wound. He also is a member of the 27 Club, dying at age 27. So Wolfgang, no match for the reluctant king of grunge. Cobain's moving through with 75% of the vote. In the next round, we have Cobain versus Notorious B.I.G. Can Biggie take down Cobain and earn a potential rematch with Tupac in the Elite Eight? That would be pretty epic. Um, If Lennon should have been a number one seed in this bracket, he probably should have no problem knocking off the two seed in Tupac. It'll be interesting to see if he can actually do it. So there you go. We're down to 16 combatants for next week. There's some really fun matchups this week, and I'm kind of excited to see a few upsets that actually happened. Most of them were five fours, but how about Aaliyah? Next week we have 16 participants going, so we're going to spend a little bit of time with the artists, as I said, looking at their top three songs. What those are, what they were all about, and what I think are their best. So if you have an opinion different than me, it'll be interesting to hear what you think. So as I said, voting will be open till Thursday, August 31st at noon Central Time. Get your votes in by then. If you'd like this episode, drop a five-star, give me a thumbs up, and subscribe. Like always, I've included a link to vote, a link to our Discord, and a link to the songs that we've talked about up to this point. And remember, you may not like the results, but you can't argue with the process. If you don't like how things are going, the only way to change it is to invite more of your friends with similar music tastes to vote. And most of all, don't forget to enjoy the madness.